This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. For a number of weeks, we've been really talking about what you, as a marketplace ministry leader, what you can share with people in the workplace that brings hope, and how you can pray for others and comfort others who are bereaved or who might be ill or who are going through job loss or job insecurity. And at the end of the day, the question becomes, well, who is God? Who is this God that you're talking about? Not everyone in your workplace is going to have a knowledge of God or a relationship with God. And so there may be just some rudimentary things that are important to share with those who are interested and share with those who ask you, because we have to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. One of my most favorite characterizations of God and who he is, is the answer that he gave to Moses when God was sending Moses back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And Moses was wondering, well, who shall I tell them is is sending me to them? Who should I say is behind all of this? And God told him to tell the people that I am is the one who sent him. And I actually love that name of God, I am, because I am is always current. He didn't say I was, even though he was. He didn't say I will be, even though he will be. He says, I am. So no matter what day you're sitting in, I am is current and relevant. God is present now. God is present today. And he didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they yet live in in an eternal life situation. So that just gives us some insight about eternity because God is eternal, self-existent, always existed, There was never a time when there was not God. There was a time when there wasn't an earth. There was a time when there weren't animals. There was a time when there wasn't man. There never was a time when there wasn't God. So God is the center, the creator, and the beginning of all. And he has no beginning or end. God is, in essence, infinity. And he says of himself, I'm the alpha. I am the omega. I am the first. I am the last. And so those are just some of the the terms that God might use to describe himself. We also see the term Elohim. And Elohim suggests a plurality. We know that God is one. And of course, that the Shema of Israel is real clear about that. There is only one God. And yet within that one God is such a majesty and such a plurality of, I'll say, person that you can't even capture all of who God is with a singular pronoun. 
So that's important to be aware of too. So God is the only one in his category. There is none other like God. And all those little G gods that people worship and that might hold themselves out to be gods are no equivalent, no rival, and no match for the one true and real living God who created all things, first of all, and who is the sustainer of all things. When we read the scriptures, we find that God says, you know, I'm the one who feeds the animals who cry out to me, you know, from their dens when they need food. I am the one who knows every sparrow that falls. I'm the one who knows every hair on your head. His knowledge of us is intimate and it's infinite. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves because he's the one that's created us. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them dominion over the garden. He told them to take care of it. He also told them that they were to be fruitful and to multiply. And he gave them very few rules. There were a few. There was a tree that they weren't supposed to eat from in that garden. And they ate from that tree anyway, sinning against God. So that caused a separation between God and man. And when God created man, he created man as in his image. And when I say man, I'm talking about man and woman, because woman was taken out of man, and collectively they both were called man and referred to as man. And so God had fellowship with man in the garden, intimate fellowship with the garden. But when the serpent got involved in the form of Lucifer, the devil, and he tempted Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, that's when that fellowship, that perfect fellowship was broken. God still desired to have fellowship with man. However, man's choices caused some consequences in the universe. So instead of man really being able to shepherd the earth and be in charge down here, as God had decided, because he allowed man to have free will, and so that we could love God out of our free will, and people chose to disobey, that meant they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, which was the perfect place to live on earth. That meant the ground was cursed, and therefore it would produce its fruit with labor and difficulty, and even human beings would be born onto the earth with great pain and difficulty as well. To just speak to the fact that things were marred, things were no longer in their perfect state. And the man and woman who had been naked and having no issue being naked, now God had to cover them with animal skins, which begins the beginning of now man being in a state of sin and there always would be this blood sacrifice to cover the sins of man until God would send his Messiah so that we could be reconciled to God and there would be a lamb of God who would permanently and forever take away the sins of the world. And because that blood of that lamb would be like the blood on the doorpost so that when God would see the blood of the lamb, he would know that the death angel can pass over that person from a spiritual point of view. So God still put all of this in place because as John 3.16 says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have eternal life. So his desire is that we establish a relationship with him while we're here on the earth. And then when we leave this plane of life and go to our eternal life, because all of us human beings are eternal beings, that we would spend that eternal life and that eternal time with him rather than to be separated from him forever in the outer darkness, in the lake of fire and brimstone, in the place of torment, in the place of suffering, in the place of darkness and separation. No, he would rather that we would spend that time with him and that we would be with him. And he's provided the means for that reconciliation and for us to be back in fellowship. And I remember when St. Augustine, when he came to God, as he understood more about who God was, one of the things he said was something like, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. In other words, you will be looking for all of your life for fulfillment, looking for it, and maybe looking for it in riches, looking for it in pleasures, looking for it in so many places. And the only place we have true rest is in God because he created us for himself and for that fellowship. And it's important that we know that and that we understand that, that God is total, complete love. God is holy and God is just. We need to understand those attributes about God as well. And as I said, he has no rival. There is none like him. He is unique and the only one in his category. And God is also looking throughout the earth as 2 Chronicles 16 and 9 says, it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Imagine that, that the God of the universe cares so much about us that as our hearts are loyal to him, he's looking down here and wanting to strengthen our hands in all that we do as we are committed to him. That's pretty amazing that we can have that kind of a relationship with God. And I mentioned that we are on an eternal journey here. And so we want to understand that even our bodies are not made for anything beyond the earth life, not the body that we have now. However, we are getting a new body in the eternal life. And I want to say a few words about that so we can understand that we are finite only on this plane, and then we too will have an eternal life as well. So 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, talks a little bit about this. And I'll read a couple verses here, a few verses, starting in verse 53. And it says, for this corruptible, meaning our body, this corruptible body, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. One of the things we want to remember is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what they brought to the world was death. They brought spiritual death and physical death. We have to go through the physical death. It's appointed unto man, each one of us, to die once and then to face the judgment. And once we go through that death, we don't have to go through a second death of spiritual death if, in fact, we accept God and his sacrifice for us and are reconciled to him. Our whole mission here on earth is the ministry of reconciliation back to God. And I want to really say that with God's love towards us, he wants all of us to be with him in in eternity, and he's made a way for that to happen. And I want to share with you some words of Jesus and what he said about all of this. This comes from John, the 14th chapter, verses one through six. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as you are in your workplace, there are many who do not have a relationship with God. They don't know him. Many would like to know God. They don't know the sacrifice that God has made to reconcile us to himself. You have an opportunity to share this with those who want to know. You have an opportunity to share it with those who ask you the reason for the hope that is in you. So just remember, as a ministry marketplace leader, you are interceding on behalf of people and your workplace. You are reflecting every day the glory and the light of God in who you are and how you operate. Some people will only see the Father through what you actually reflect every day and how you treat people and how you show up. So just remember, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill, and you're a light that's to shine brightly and not be hidden under a bushel. So go forth and let people know who God is. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, 
Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.